Hello everyone and welcome to this latest Norton Rose Fulbright Regulation Tomorrow Plus podcast. My name is Simon Lovegrove, Global Director of Financial Services Knowledge, and today I'm joined by Jonathan Herbst and Hannah Meakin, both partners in our London Financial Services team. The topic for today's podcast is the Chancellor's recent Mansion House speech, where he set out reforms that he claims will seize the benefits of Brexit and make the UK capital markets more attractive. We'll also touch on the government's response to the investment research review. So let's get straight to it. Jonathan, to start off with, let's just take a step back for a moment. What do you think are the key takeaways from the Mansion House speech? Oh, thanks, Simon. Hello, everybody. So first things first, it in a way carries on the mood music of the Edinburgh speech, and the reforms from last year, and it very much reflects those. So, you know, making the UK attractive, et cetera, et cetera. The, on the specifics, there are a few things to note. Firstly, the various proposals on listings, uh, in particular, the concept of an intermittent market, which I think is designed to get private companies uh, more ability to raise capital. Secondly, and it's probably not for us today, but there's quite a lot on the pension side, very, very significant reforms, but probably not so much for us on the FS side. On financial services specifically, I draw out a few points. Uh, I think Hannah might talk in a minute about the investment research review, where effectively they're trying to uh, remove the bundling requirements. Uh, they're going to remove, and this has been well trailed, the share trading obligation, double volume cap, so that reflects existing government policy. And then I think perhaps more interesting and less noticed, and we can come onto this in a minute in more detail, is what they call smart regulation, which is, I guess, the beginning of filling in the detail of what the, the UK regime, post-European regime, will look like, both structurally and also in content-wise. And there are various aspects to that. There are specific things they're planning to get rid of. So for example, on short selling, removing the requirements on sovereign debt and CDS, but also structurally in terms of how they'll relate into the regulators, how the powers of the um, PRA and the FCA will tie into the treasury. So all of those put together, I mean, question mark, whether it takes us a long way, I think in many ways it reflects what we thought was the case, but it nevertheless does say something about the direction of travel. And I think the most important thing to take away from it is there are going to be lots of details, reforms in specific dockets, so to speak, and one will need to keep a close eye on them. Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, let's just keep with retained EU law for a moment. Um, in his speech, Hunt referred to the government's new Financial Services and Markets Act which was passed um, recently. Now, under this new legislation, he explained that the government is repealing 100 pieces of unnecessary retained EU law, further simplifying our rule book whilst retaining our high regulatory standards. Can you say a few words about how the government is repealing retained EU law? Yes, yeah, so what they're doing in that is, it, it's actually not quite accurate to say they're repealing it. What they're doing is they're doing it in a staged way on specific dockets where there will be consultations. And as a result of that, they will make the amendments that they need to make or they think they need to make to the law. So, and in fact, if you look, there's a paper that Treasury brought out on smarter regulation, as they call it, which has a number of elements, quite an important paper. And in chapter two, it's quite a detailed um, table of the so-called forward look of different 
initial provisions they're looking at, some of which have been well-trailed, Solvency II, Prospectus, uh, some aspects of NIFID, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the sort of content side, which I think has been quite well discussed. The other piece, there are two other pieces I draw attention to. The first is you know, trying to sort out the, the balance of power, filling in the balance of power between the treasury and the regulators. So for example, treasury in its normal way, setting the regulatory perimeter, but also not just the regulated activities perimeter now, but also the designated activities perimeter, this new regime where someone who's within that will not need to get a license, but they will be subject to certain powers of the treasury and, and of the regulators. So all of that, you know, splitting up the sort of, you know, where does the treasury end and either PRA or FCA begin. So that's, that's, that's a second piece. And then there's a third piece, which I think is quite interesting, which is the sort of legislative approach, as they call it, which has a number of, let's call them macro regulations that they will be passing at secondary level to set the framework of regulation. And they've got a whole list of them in, in the paper. It's actually in chapter five of the paper, buried away. Uh, just to quickly run through those, you've got designated activities piece, you've got the have regards to regulations, which are interesting because they are an attempt by the government to shape in a bit more detail the way in which the regulators go about the use of their powers. So this is all this is sort of following up on that theme of the balance between PRA and FCA on the one hand, the treasurer on the other. You've got the modification and disapplication of rules regulation, which is really interesting, where the regulators will be able, subject to these regulations, to disapply particular rules to particular classes or situations of, of um, firm, that, which go beyond the current waiver powers. So that's a design to create more flexibility. And then there's so-called miscellaneous provisions regulations, which will deal with all sorts of different things, uh, you know, looking, you know, sitting beneath the detail. So to summarize, You've got substantive change beginning, as we knew was going to happen from Edinburgh, and that's going to be an ongoing process, which is clearly going to grow with time and, you know, leads into all those questions about dual regulation, EU, UK, and how the firms try to, you know, look at the dichotomy between the two. So there's all of that. And then on the other side of the equation, you've got a lot of process stuff under the new Act, which is going to be setting out the parameters of the various powers. Thanks, Jonathan. So let's now move on to the UK Investment Research Review, which was launched in response to concerns about the quality and quantity of investment research produced in the UK as compared to other jurisdictions. Hannah, if I could draw you in to this, please. Um, amongst other things, the government has welcomed the UK Investment Research Review. The review identified seven recommendations which the government has accepted. Uh, to start off with, could you remind listeners what the recommendations were? Yes, so of course, Simon. Um, so as you say, the, these recommendations are really the result of Rachel Kent's review into uh, investment research and um, really kind of tying in with the, the theme that Jonathan was just talking about and the kind of wider Edinburgh reforms. They are a very important component of uh, increasing the attractiveness of the UK as a place to list. Um, in fact, uh, Rachel describes them investment research as the golden thread that kind of runs through the capital markets. So these recommendations are uh, quite varied in nature. Um, 
and they have, uh, I guess, kind of different uh, potential timelines and uh, people who would implement them. But the, so the first one is to introduce a research platform to help generate research. So this is uh, a significant innovation um, designed to address the research coverage of smaller cap companies in the, in the UK in particular. Um, so to encourage and facilitate promotion, sourcing and dissemination of that research. And it could also be used to initiate research on private companies that are uh, contemplating listing um, and on which there may not be much available research at the moment. Um, the second recommendation is to allow additional optionality for paying for investment research beyond what Method 2 currently permits. So this would be to add optionality regarding uh, payment research in order to permit asset managers to pay for research on a bundled basis. And linked to that, um, it's about ensuring that UK asset managers remain able to procure research from elsewhere in the world, especially the US. So there's a bit of a um, competitiveness, competitiveness angle there as well. The third recommendation is about allowing greater access to investment research for retail investors. Um, so the research platform is intended to include retail investors, but in addition, the FCA would be asked to consider whether it could amend some of the rules and guidance to allow retail access uh, more easily. The fourth recommendation is about involving academic institutions in supporting the uh, creation of investment research um, and various other initiatives. Um, so this is really about exploring uh, mechanisms to strengthen that collaboration between academic institutions and the capital markets. Recommendation number five is to support issuer-sponsored research by implementing a voluntary code of conduct. Um, so issuer-sponsored research is recognised as serving an important purpose and um, we want it to be uh, available, uh, it's wanted it to continue to be available um, over and above what's actually on the research platform. Um, and the suggestion here is that actually this code of conduct could be something that maybe uh, one of the trade bodies might uh, work on with, with industry. Uh, recommendation six then is to review the regulatory regime for investment research um, to try and uh, identify areas where it is at the moment unclear or unnecessarily complex or just difficult to justify what the rules and requirements are actually trying to achieve and how they're doing it um, and with a view to simplifying and clarifying where appropriate um, and potentially having a bespoke regime that relates specifically to investment research because at the moment we don't actually have that uh, in the UK. And then um, last but not least, recommendation seven is to review the rules relating to investment research in the context of IPOs, um, including the uh, IPO timetabling changes that were introduced in 2018, um, including connected analyst research that's produced in connection with IPOs and limitations on connected analysts being able to meet with potential IPO candidates uh, before investment banks are mandated. So, as I say, a, a fairly broad range of um, recommendations. Thanks, Anna. Lots in there. Um, as my second question, um, the FCA has also issued a statement. Uh, what does it say? And in light of all of this, what should firms be doing, if anything? Yeah, absolutely. The, um, the FCA uh, has indeed confirmed that it welcomes the um, Mansion House speech. Um, obviously, the FCA is keen to ensure that capital markets are effective for all participants. Um, 
in particular in relation to uh, investment research, they're going to consider the review and its recommendations in line with their objectives and, um, and, and start on a, a, a process, uh, which is really the first part of which is really engaging with market participants and getting their feedback um, to inform the content of proposals that it will then make. And I think some of that is, is looking at exactly how to implement some of these recommendations for which the FCA has been given responsibility. Um, but also some of it, I think, is getting feedback in terms of um, timing for these changes. Um, the FCA makes reference to the fact that it, it needs to take into account the, um, the firm's kind of operational capacity to absorb some of these changes. Um, although I think it is has suggested the FCA has suggested that there might be an accelerated timetable on the changes that are about essentially giving uh, firms more options as to how they pay for investment research um, because it thinks that that they will improve uh, value for money for both institutional and retail investors um, so I think uh, obviously kind of the detail of exactly what um, what is going to happen and when we'll uh, we'll have to kind of wait for the outcome of those discussions but the current suggestion is that or well, intention is to make relevant rules in the first half of 2024 so I think in terms of what firms should be thinking about now it is um, uh, kind of making sure that they are ready to uh, feedback to the FCA um, on those various uh, recommendations um, with a view to to being ready to to look at them in terms of implementation for next year Thanks, Hannah. Interesting. My thanks also to Jonathan for sharing his thoughts today. Further information regarding the Mansion House speech and the HM Treasury papers that have followed it can be found on our Regulation Tomorrow blog. And we will, of course, be issuing further up podcasts on the papers as well. Many thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.